Welcome to this science fiction podcast from Third Flatiron Publishing in Boulder, Colorado and Ayr, Scotland. Today we're presenting A Sure Bet, the short story Joey and Rue by Dominic Cancilla. Joey tends toward misanthropy. Rue is more of a Lovecraftian force of discord, indetectable by most living things. Together they bend reality into an astonishing Rube Goldberg machine. Dominic grew up in suburban California, and after writing since the 1980s, he has hit upon the sweet spot of mixing humor and horror. His recent novel is Tomorrow's Journal. This satire first appeared in the anthology Brain Games, Stories to Astonish. For more from Third Flatiron, check out our website at thirdflatiron.com and subscribe to this podcast. And now, allow us to introduce Joey and Rue by Dominic Cancilla. Joey and Rue by Dominic Cancilla Joey knew he and Rue were different. Joey didn't much care for other children. Rue was a will-crushing, unphysical, demi-being that nobody else could see. When he was nine, Joey asked his mother where he came from. She began by saying, Well, when a rogue archon of dismay and a grand Fopopria elder disdain humanity very much, from there it was a lot of stuff similar to things he'd seen goats on their ranch doing, but with more elaborate tools some kind of agonizing, unspeakable intervention, and three years in an atemporal pouch while he and Rue developed together. It had been a lot to absorb, but in the three years since, Joey had done his best. The other kids in school thought Joey was weird. Everyone knew about his eccentric parents, and he was the only one in his class who didn't play with others at recess and brought a lunchbox that occasionally moved. He was never out sick. Teachers never called on him. Because Rue helped him with his studies, Joey had skipped three grades, making him the youngest person in Carson Junior High. Needless to say, he got bullied. A lot. A certain set of rumors about his parents, and the incident in which a student who had shoved Joey woke up the next morning to find her pillow stuffed with live pigeons, kept physical bullying at a minimum. But the teasing was endless. It would have been stressful if he cared, but he didn't. What he did care about was animals. Joey was sitting under a tree in Fremont Park, a paper bag of animal treats at his side. Every once in a while, he would pull a peanut out of the bag and hold it over his head, right against the bark of the tree. A squirrel would run down, sniff the snack, then grab it and run away with all haste. It was fun. It was cute and it was a pleasant way to spend a Saturday morning. Rue preferred birds. He liked to watch them fly because he could see through their flesh and enjoyed the way flying made their muscles move. It's like little synchronized waves, he would say for Joey alone. Later, they'd wander over to the park's pond and throw bread to the ducks. When not feeding the squirrel, Joey and Rue were having a quiet game of corrupt minion kill using whatever a passing cloud happened to look like as a subject. Cow? Minion. Race car? Corrupt. 
Swimmer? Corrupt. Clown? Corrupt. No, kill. They seem to be landing on corrupt a lot. But with summer vacation only weeks away, that was natural for children their age. Talking to fairies, someone said. Joey looked down to humanity's level and saw Liam standing a few feet away, all greasy hair and resting jerk face. Old enough to be in high school, if not for his excellence at flunking and suspension, Liam had a reputation for slinging bile at anyone dumb enough to be smaller than him. If the distorted masters needed a poster boy for justifying the coming human purge, Liam was it. Fairies aren't real, Joey said, not wanting a conversation, but unable to let ignorance go uncorrected. It was a character flaw and the primary reason his parents kept him off the Internet. Your mom's a fairy, Liam said, like someone who thought that recognizing the structure of a joke was sufficient. My mother is real, Joey said, already bored. Fairies aren't real. We've covered that. He looked back at the sky. There was a cloud that looked like a gyro sandwich. Corrupt, Rue said. Joey couldn't disagree. Are you ignoring me? Liam asked, taking a step forward on the grass. Joey sighed. Trying to, he said, watching the puffy gyro float by. Think your rich family makes you too good to talk to me? Liam asked. You make me too good to talk to you. What does that supposed to mean? Sparkling grammar there, but Joey let it go. You're a waste of my time, he said. Think you're better than me? Joey looked Liam in the eyes again, glaring. I'm better than you, your friends, your family, all of you. Big man, little man, Liam said. Think you're so tough? How about you get up and prove it? He raised his hands into fists and danced around a bit, like someone who had never seen a boxer imitating a boxer. Hasn't she heard about the pigeons? Rue asked. Joey ignored him, concentrating on the bully. You don't want to fight me, Joey said. Wanna bet? Liam asked, adding a little circling to his comical battle dance. I'm not supposed to use direct violence, Joey said, but I have a friend who can see the cracks and seams in reality and help me pluck the strings of infinite future paths in service of my will. Liam froze in mid-shadow box. Huh? he said, all ignorant eloquence. I can make anything I want happen, Joey said, dumbing it down so much that the squirrel in the tree above was probably rolling its eyes. Anything, Liam asked. Anything that's possible, pretty much. Bullshit. Joey shrugged. Suit yourself, he said. Then prove it. Prove what? Prove you can do shit or make wishes or whatever. Why should I? So I don't kick your ass. I could definitely go for disemboweling him, Rue said. Joey shook his head. Mom and Dad were very clear on him not doing anything so direct. How about this, Joey said. I prove I can do what I say, and you leave me alone forever. If I fail, you can go say whatever garbage about me you want, and I won't complain a bit. Maybe, Liam said. Prove it how. 
Bet I can make a squirrel come down from the tree and eat out of my hand, Joey said. That's crap, Liam said. I saw you doing that before. It was worth a shot, Rue said. Fine, Joey said. What would be proof to you? Make that squirrel drop dead right out of the tree, Liam said. Nope, Joey said. I'm not hurting animals. No way. Because you can't, Faker. Can. Won't. Try something else. Fine, said Liam. Then make a big pile of money appear right here in front of me. And it has to be magic or whatever. If you take money out of your pocket and throw it at me, that doesn't count. Then, as an afterthought, as if hedging a bet, he said, I would take it, though. Joey conferred with Rue for a moment, while Rue examined the strands and found one suitable. It was doable. Okay, said Joey, standing up and brushing off his jeans. It'll take five or six minutes, though. Liam took a step forward. You're not going anywhere, smart boy. I don't need to, Joey said. He bent over, picked up the paper bag, and dug through the peanuts to its bottom. There he found two slices of Wonder Bread, a brand his mother held as symbol for the depths to which humanity's depraved soul had been crushed, suitable only for feeding to animals. Joey held the corner of one of the bread slices, pinched between his pointer and middle fingers, and, with a snap of his wrist, sent it spinning through the air like a frisbee. The slice arced high, curving in the air as it began its descent over the park's playground, before sailing over the fence into the street. What the shit was that shit, Liam demanded. Wait for it, Joey said, rolling the top of the bag of peanuts and tucking it under his arm. Five or six minutes. They waited. Jacob Miller was up to here with his sister's dog. Fudge was a good boy, mostly, but the dog was almost a third of Jacob's weight and nearly too much for him to handle. After two weeks of having to walk it because Jackie had the flu, he was seriously considering shelling out to have it boarded. That decision nearly became academic when what looked like a slice of bread sailed over the park fence and Fudge bolted after it, ripping the leash from Jacob's hand. Emily Garcia couldn't remember if parks counted the same as schools for speed limits, so she was doing 25 just to be safe. She'd only had her license for a week, and if she got a ticket, her driving privileges would be toast. Emily was concentrating so intently on her speed that she wasn't paying sufficient attention to the road, and when a dog ran right out into traffic, it caught her completely by surprise. Acting on pure instinct, Emily stomped the brakes and threw her hands over her eyes. Tanner Hyde slowed his yellow Celica when he saw the dog running toward the road on the other side of the street, so he was ready when it darted into traffic. What he wasn't ready for was the woman driving the other way, taking her hands off the wheel and veering into his lane. Tanner stood on his brakes and turned hard to the right, running into a parked car but still getting sideswiped by the moron for his trouble. Josh Anderson was skateboarding down the street, heavy tunes by six inglorious fucktards slamming through his Korean knockoff earpods. There was just enough room between parked cars and traffic until suddenly there wasn't, and a yellow P.O.S. sedan boned a green P.O.S. compact at the curb, cutting him off. 
Josh, reflexes excellent, cut right behind the green car, but missed his ollie and let his board get taken out by the curb. Antonio Milano walked quickly but carefully out of Nest Café, a takeout tray with four cups of coffee clutched in his hands. Three months of gophering was testing his devotion to JQU4EA pictures, but he'd known going in that there was no path through Hollywood that didn't involve serious dues paying. Although if they were anywhere near actual Hollywood, it might have made him feel better. The coffee was barely going to make it back to the office in time for the meeting when a skateboard flew out of nowhere and caught Antonio in the knee, sending him flying. Michaela Lee was naughty as hell. Naughty, naughty, naughty. She was going through her phone for the hottest selfie she'd taken in the bedroom mirror that morning. She found the perfect one, close enough to the edge that she could near plausibly claim it meant nothing. It would totally screw with Spencer's head, since he was never going to have her, but she bet he thought he had a chance. There was a loud bang, and Michaela looked up to see a man smashed against the cafe window, four cups crushed between him and the glass, coffee sprayed everywhere. Michaela rolled her eyes. Guys and what they'll do for attention, right? She sent the picture and a flirty little message. Guess what's on my mind? Then, just as she sent it, noticed she'd tagged the wrong contact. The picture was going to Cavan, not to Spencer. Shit. Gavin Hall's phone beeped. He sat up on the couch, head still aching from a double night shift. Why did the construction in the next apartment have to make the bedroom so loud? Why couldn't they have a couch that was actually long enough to be comfortable? He grabbed his phone from the table, saw the text. Guess what's on my mind? Michaela. Damn Michaela. Once again, she was trying to make some other guy come on to her so he'd be jealous, and once again, she'd sent it to the wrong person. That's what she got for A, not believing his moving in with her was enough proof of his love, and B, naming the contacts in her phone, Guy 1, Guy 2, and the like. Gavin really didn't want to go through this again, and he really needed to calm down before she came running home. He got up a bit too fast, making his head spin. With a huff, he threw on a shirt, grabbed his paintball gun, and headed out the door. Nothing blew off steam like paintballing a damned pigeon. Jenna Walker was the only one in her sorority who didn't get high, and the only one with guts and brains enough to score without getting caught. It was a recipe for success, and she was hauling it in hand over fist, taking a 50% commission on buys from her sorority sisters and anyone else dumb or chicken enough to go in with them. Her connection was a person she didn't even know who worked out of an apartment two streets off from the building her parents' condo was in. She'd make a deal over secure messaging, send a drone from her roof to the dealers with the cash, and call the drone back with her bundle. Police couldn't catch it. If anyone saw it, so what? It was just a drone. Nothing could go wrong. Or so she thought until her drone, halfway to its target, suddenly lurched with a spray of liquid that made it look like it had been shot and plummeted toward the ground. She was so screwed. There was a crash as something smacked into the tree over Joey's head. More noise as something tumbled through leaves and branches, 
then a dull thud as it hit the ground between Joey, Liam, and a number of Liam's friends, who he had yelled at to join him for his anticipated moment of triumph. "'What the hell?' Liam said, looking at the brick of lawn-bag plastic and duct tape on the grass in front of him. The guys with him gasped, one echoing the "'What the hell?' in a burst of unoriginality. Not particularly surprised, Joey walked over to the brick and picked it up, being careful to avoid the yellow paint splattered on one side. He used his left pinky nail, the one Rue had shown him how to take particular care of, to slice through the duct tape. Peeling back the plastic, he revealed a stack of bills, mostly twenties, with a dozen tens at one end and a few hundreds at the other. See, Joey said, like I told you, now go away. But Liam wasn't going away. With the support of four members of Liam's crew, which isn't what he called them out loud because Ash thought they were Ash's crew and Obi thought they were the wreck wreckers, he felt emboldened. We're not going anywhere without that money, Liam said. Put it down and run away like a little pussy freak. Fortunately, while they waited for the money, Joey had been preparing for something like this. He wasn't going to fight anyone, but that didn't mean he couldn't defend himself, and the look in Liam's eyes said the time for conversation was past. A few minutes before, at Rue's suggestion, Joey had retrieved one of the peanuts from his bag. He threw it straight up, just far enough from the tree that the squirrel, still a bit shaken from its encounter with a yellow-splotched drone, overbalanced when trying to reach for it. The squirrel caught the nut and didn't fall out of the tree, but its sudden struggle for balance did startle a songbird that was coming in for a landing, setting certain events in motion. Later, while the police were gathering evidence, taking statements, and trying to keep the curious away from the bodies, Joey and Rue walked across the street to the 7-Eleven to buy Cokes for themselves and iTunes gift cards for their parents. They paid cash. Thanks for listening to this podcast from thirdflatiron.com. Original music by Disco Volante. Sound production was by Andrew Cairns.